This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. It's great that you could join us for uh, an ongoing discussion of life, faith and the Bible and living it out every day. It's called LifeWords Q&A. Thanks for your company. Over the next 20 minutes, we'll be chatting to David Ray. David, thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, we've got your questions to uh, look at. David's... Um, had a look and he's chosen three questions for this podcast. We'll be uh, first tackling uh, the question about Adam and Eve. David, so the questioner has asked, were Adam and Eve real people or are they just names given as part of a story of creation? Yeah, there's a lot uh, a lot behind that question and uh, um, I keep on saying this in uh, these Q&A podcasts that um, there are different views. And my view may not um, gain wide or universal acceptance. But that's that's all right. Uh, we've got room for diversity in the Christian church. Now, let, let me say what I think. I believe that God intervened to place his spirit on two individuals. And I'm, I'm open to the idea that those humans evolved from pre-human forms prior to this intervention. That's a debatable point among some Christians. But I'm saying from my, my point of view, I'm open to the idea that there was a gradual evolution uh, which and which climaxed in a way in the granting of humanity um, by God, uh, placing his spirit on two individuals so that previously pre-human forms became human. God created human beings. Now, I, I do believe that um, there's no reason anyway for me to disbelieve that God intervened to place his spirit on two individuals, whether it was from an evolutionary process or whether it was just two individuals created quite differently, uh, I'm, I'm not going into. Um, now, the actual names, funnily enough, are actually descriptions of man and woman, respectively. Adam means man and Eve means woman um, okay. in in the scriptures. So you could argue that they're really capital M man and capital W woman. God created Adam and Eve could be another way of saying, no, God created man and woman. Um now, it may be that God places his hand on other human life forms at that same time, so Adam and Eve are not all alone and not the only human beings. And I think we acknowledge that from Genesis. Their son Cain married someone from the world at the same time and was aware of other human beings in the world when God banished him um, from the garden and said, you wicked man, you've murdered your brother. Uh, well, he was aware of other human beings in the world because he said, God, please don't let, let me be um, the victim of other human beings' um, hostility. Um, so uh, while I don't doubt that they were historical figures, um, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to accept the fact that the scriptures say that there were two individual human beings and God placed his hand on them. And the Bible says uh, this is the beginning of the human story. Um, but then again, they may be a selected couple from among others that God created human. And we are just being told the story of this couple. There could have been other couples out there um, who knows um, but this selected couple from among others God created human and in the story that God is telling about them in the early chapters of Genesis they're representatives of all humanity so in other words there are two people here in this perfect world which we call the Garden of Eden they rebelled against God and they suffered the consequences and I believe that those two were historical human beings that lit they literally did disobey God well the form of it's a bit different whether there's really serpents and trees and someone might be a different uh, might be a matter for a different question but that these people did disobey God and in doing so they brought all of humanity down with them and um, I believe that the story of all humanity 
uh, is being told through the lens, as it were, of these two individuals, Adam and Eve. Uh, I, I believe there are other human beings around the place that likewise were rebelling against God. Yep. Um, but that uh, so yes, were Adam and Eve two historical people? Did they really exist? I, I, I believe so. But they, I believe, were representatives of all of humanity, and as such, they represent us. We are placed in a position of choosing to be loyal or disloyal to God, and we inevitably, like Adam and Eve, choose to be disloyal and suffer the consequences. So I think what you're saying, David, is that, um, I mean, it's important to understand the context of what we're reading and the, uh, the understanding what the Bible is as a collection of books and understanding at the time there wasn't someone writing down history as it was happening. So there wasn't someone scribing, hey, Adam and Eve were created and I'm, I'm watching what's happening and recording it. This is oral, tradi- oral tra- tradition that's been passed down generation to generation, hundreds if not thousands of years yes, uh, that's after. Right. That, that's right. Yeah, you, you're right. I mean, there's a couple of issues there. One is that, that the general scholarly consensus, and it's always hard to use that phrase because there's always exceptions, but the general scholarly consensus of Bible-believing scholars, not people who just want to throw out the Bible, uh, is that the book of Genesis was probably got into its final form round about the time of the exile from Jerusalem because that was the time that the people of Israel had to sort of gather it all together and say, wait a minute, who are we? Why are we why are we where we are now? What got us to this point? And and but yes, what you're saying is right. There was a long. They did weren't just making up a story, a fairy story out of their heads. Not mm. at all. They were basing on real history way back in time that had been passed on through oral tradition, what we call. And yes, you're right. There was no one. It, there's no one writing history the way we do. This is this is a much broader question that we can't go into now. But but biblical history, particularly Old Testament history, is different from our history. Um, it's it's not not that we're saying it's not true or that we can't rely on it. But they are not using. You see, we say twenty two thousand three hundred fifty one people came to a football match on Saturday. Um, they're saying um, an army of a hundred thousand did this. Well, if, you know, this yeah. use of statistics is different. What is recorded is different. This is not comprehensive history the way an encyclopedia might record it. This is selective history, selected by um, God's spirit, actually, you know, inspiring the writers to write the way they did. So when, when people ask me as a, as a related question to this one, is, is Genesis historical? I have to answer by saying, well, what do you mean by historical? Not historical by 21st century standards, mm. not at all, because we'd have to say the same thing about many of the Roman histories and the Greek histories. They were writing in a different style, in a different way, according to different standards. Um, so, but I would say, is Genesis truly trying to express something that God thinks is very important about the creation of the world and the creation of human beings. Oh, yes, he is. And we could rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us into a, the best understanding of these early chapters uh, to remind us of how to live, who we are in the purposes of God and so on. So, so we can get a little bit bogged down, I think, with some of these issues of historical veracity and so on um, because I think it's, it's unfortunate if we measure the writing of Genesis um, as against the writing of, um, you know, a modern-day encyclopedia. Very yep. different. Thanks, David. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with Andrew Morris and David Ray. We've gone uh, from a historical question uh, in the book of Genesis to uh, very much a real-life, everyday, living-life kind of question from this listener, David. I have a friend who lost her husband very young, and I'm worried she's taking so long to get over it. What, if anything, can I do to help her? 
Yeah, it's a good question. We, 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 we get this question in our lives a lot, don't we? Uh, because we always encounter people who've um, lost someone. Loss is universal. Um, I'd say very in short, um, you're worried that she's taking so long to get over it. Please don't hurry her up. Um, I'm not saying you necessarily are trying to hurry her up. I sense that you are really trying to help and you're worried that she's taking so long. But but grief takes time. Uh, There's not a time scale here. There's not a case of, well, after six months, you should be over it. After 12 months, you should have recovered. After 18 months, you should be moving on or something. You can't do that. People have relapses. You see, the, the process of recovering from a loss is not just some sort of smooth process. It's up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, people will have a good two months and then have a terrible week. Um, they'll take five steps forward and three steps back and then two steps forward and ten steps back. I, I mean, it, it's not an easy process. Beware of wanting to rush people through grief. I think some people do that. And I, again, I'm not implying the question I wants to do that. But I think some people want uh, want people to get over it, as it were, so that they can feel better. Yeah. That's why people say, yep. don't cry. Well, why on earth shouldn't you cry? Um, but what you're really saying is it makes me uncomfortable to see you cry, so don't cry. Or I really, really want you to recover your vim and vitality, um, therefore recover your vim and vitality. So I'm assuming it's probably unhealthy to um, try and shorten someone's grieving process or even if something you know, unpleasant happens this day or there's a frustration going there, there, it's going to be okay. Really, you should just let them verbalise, yes. let them speak, get that's, that grief out. That, that's right. There's no timescale. If someone is going through a tough time like that, the question of saying, well, what should I do? What can I do to help? Well, I've said no. Don't hurry her up. Don't sort of say, now, listen here, the time, the time scale is such and such and you sh- you should be at this stage now. You're not going to do that. Um, it's, incidentally, um, we, we never say to people in these situations, oh, look, you'll get over it. You will never get over it. This, this person concerned who lost her husband will never get over it. All we are trying to do here is to hope for this person can retain a sense of purpose and meaning and even gladness in life, which which can coexist with sadness, so that they can, as it were, move on. But it is going to be slow and painful, and they're not going to actually get over it. She may remarry, but that's not the same as as replacing her husband sort of thing. It's uh, funny, it's, David, even like losing your parents, you, you don't get over that, do you? You don't get over it. You don't get over it. All you can do is to... Is to um, integrate that terrible painful experience integrate your sense of sadness and loss into what you are doing now so that you are not um crippled you see there there is such a thing as blocked grief um if there's a deep sense of paralysis over many many months if there's no at least minimal effort to re-enter life, then perhaps some professional counselling can help. Now, I, I do believe that in general, grieving people need friends more than counsellors. I don't think we should rush people like this woman who's lost her husband to say, you must go and see a counsellor. A counsellor can be very helpful if that person themselves admits, I'm utterly paralysed here, I cannot move on, I cannot get out of the house, I cannot embrace things, my, I'm having... All my relationships seem to be poisoned. Ah, yes, that can be a time when professional help is available. But honestly, in general, grieving people need friends um, more than counsellors. But please be the sort of friend who's not going to rush the person on. Be patient. Listen a lot. Um, Do a lot more listening than speaking. Do practical things as if needed. If they want to talk about their grief, listen. If they don't want to talk about their grief, okay, fine. Uh, Don't pry. 
So be available as companions to help get life routines back. Um, give them occasional treats, you know. And it, 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 but I sense behind this question there's a little bit of anxiety, which is understandable. But look, I don't think anxiety helps such a process. You have to accept the person as they are, not as you want them to be. The grief process might not be going as well as you'd like. They might be taking a little bit more time or struggling a little bit more or so on. But I'm sorry, that's the way it is. Your best help as a friend is to accept the person as they are and to pray into that situation that God would help them um, recover a sense, some degree of wholeness without ever feeling they'll ever entirely get over it. So you can do a lot to help that friend of yours but but don't fall into the mentality of thinking what can I do what can I do what can I do rather simply be that sort of companion who will be there to listen do more listening than speaking um, be there for any practical concerns and yes when they want to talk talk when they don't want to talk don't talk you're listening to Life Words Q&A with David Ray hey it's Andrew Morris with you it's our regular podcast where we're discussing your questions and if you've got a question revolving around life, your faith and God, or the Bible, you can email David, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. No question is silly. No question is too hard for David. Well, we'll see. Lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. David, our final question today is, I've noticed that most people don't kneel for prayer in churches these days. Should this cause us any concern regarding uh, maybe a lack of reference for God? Reference. Well, certainly, if if any if anyone's showing a lack of reverence for God, I think it's a it's a problem. But uh, I don't think kneeling is necessarily uh, an automatic expression of reverence. Um, you see, in some church situations, um, there's no provision for kneeling. I mean, many churches I know meet in schools and community halls and other such places um, where where kneeling is a bit of a problem. Um, and as people get older and older like me, um, you're a bit wary of kneeling down because you don't know how you're going to get up afterwards. Yep. So it can be a bit difficult. We need lazy boys. <laughs> That's right. You do. You see, yeah, don't confuse ends and means. The point is show God reverence and respect. Absolutely. And I do believe in some churches that does not happen enough. I, I do do feel that. But the way we show it might differ. Um, some people are showing God enormous respect and reverence by standing for long periods of time, singing with their eyes closed and arms lifted up, and that is showing reverence for Christ. Other people show reverence for Christ by being in utter quietness and kneeling down. That's, I don't think God worries one way or the other about that. Um, I can see the value and symbolism of kneeling. Um, kneeling is a way of submitting it's a way of recognizing someone's got a greater claim on you as a, a, a gesture of surrender even yet it also can be an empty gesture you can be kneeling and doesn't mean doesn't mean anything um it's similar you know with other gestures some people bow at the cross or they cross themselves they genuflect um in some churches uh, including one i've ministered to over years um when the gospel is read people stand they don't stand for the old testament they stand yeah. for the gospel now that 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 that's I always right. found that weird. It, it is. It, 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 it's a bit strange in a way that you're exalting one bit of the Bible over another. But on the other hand, people would say, well, no, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just simply showing a respect and a reverence. Well, yeah. well, that's neither here nor there. I'm, I'm not going into a debate about that. Um, you see, there can be valid ways of expressing reverence or mere traditions that have lost their meaning and become routine, and I'm not the one to judge that. Um so we can't judge reverence on the basis of such outward behaviours. Someone kneels, they must be reverent. 
someone doesn't kneel, they must not be. You, you can't do that. It's what's in the heart that counts. I reckon if you want to kneel, as you say, your prayers privately or publicly for that matter, um, if it helps you, well and good. I've been in Christian gatherings where we've been encouraged to lie flat on our face on the ground, um, um, you know, resting in the Lord or showing reverence for the Lord. And, and that that can be... Um, that that can be good at times. Um, mind you, the, one of the times I tried that, I virtually fell asleep on the ground. So that probably wasn't wasn't the best. But but look, whatever gestures you show, show proper reverence and respect for a holy God. But um, kneeling may or may not be the best expression of it. David, thanks for hanging out with us for those three questions today. Thank you. Yeah, you've been listening to LifeWords Q&A uh, with David Ray, Andrew Morris. You can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes or download previous episodes either through the iTunes store or hope1032.com.au. Until next time, we wish you all the best. Thanks for listening. Start your day with LifeWords. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.